Hello, Hope Church. I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter five, and this is going to be our last week in Matthew chapter five. Nah. So we are doing our series through Matthew that we have called "Your Kingdom Come," and then this fall and the spring, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And the last two weeks and this week, we've called these heart checks. Now, heart check number one, we talked about murder. But not just murder, but how it plays into our hearts, how we view our hearts by our anger and our our name calling, and all of these different elements are demonstrating where our heart really is. Last week, as Jesus works through this these passages, that we talked about adultery and lust and divorce, and how desperately we need that forgiveness that we can only find in Christ. But now, heart check number three. And this heart check is talking very specifically about our interpersonal relationships with other human beings. And like so much of what Jesus is challenging these Jewish people on a mountainside in Galilee, is he is challenging how the Pharisees and the scribes and some of the rabbis have interpreted the law to benefit themselves. And Jesus is showing that they're just living self-righteous lives, that they're desperately in need of a Savior, the the long-awaited Savior that they've been waiting for. But he also wants them to understand that they are all sinners in need of a Savior, that they are all on the same playing field. And in the process, if you remember two weeks ago, we actually read Matthew chapter 23, and I'm going to read a couple verses that probably when we are reading it didn't make any sense whatsoever, and try to uh, help understand what exactly Jesus is talking about there. But for us, when we start to talk about how do we apply this to our life, this passage, these, these three different sections, if you will, are very specifically, it's almost like God is pointing out that his mission is in constant battle with the American dream. That what God is telling us to do here, and these passages are some of the most taken out of context passages, that a lot of it is very cultural that we don't get, and so I'm going to spend some time explaining that. But so much of these go right at war with what we want to believe and what we've bought into as the American dream. And the American dream isn't necessarily bad in and of itself, and I can say that because it's such a vague thing, but... So much of it is in constant battle with what God has called us to do and how God has called us to live. I remember I worked for a ministry for a while and I would get frustrated because I'd sit in staff meetings and sometimes we were a a Christian ministry and sometimes we operated like we were a church and other times we operated like we were a business. And most of the time, how we operated was completely based off of what a deciding person responsibility was. And so they'd say, well, you know, we have to do this and this and this. This is what the Bible tells us to do. And other times, like, well, you know, in this type of a environment, sometimes you have to follow these chains of commands. And finally, one time I just said, you know, we got to decide. Are we a church or are we a business? Because all we're doing is picking and choosing which one we want at what time. And it's usually completely based off of what is most convenient to the person making the decision. And the same is true for us. When we sit down and say, these are my rights as an American citizen, or or, these are my rights as a human being, and this is what 
God has commanded us to do, or this is what Jesus is telling us to do very specifically in these passages, we start to try to justify one or the other. And so we've talked a lot about self-righteousness, that if I just can live better than that guy, I'm okay. But the passages that we're going to be talking about today look a lot more like self-justification. How do I make what I do okay, but when you do the same thing to me, it's wrong? And what it's revealing in these different areas are our own pride. How we want what's best for me, even if it comes at the expense of you. So, this heart check is showing us how we should be treating others on a daily basis. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 33. Matthew 5, starting in verse 33. Jesus says, Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to see, or if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others. Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We're going to break this down quite a bit more because there is so much cultural stuff here. And it kind of makes sense to us at a point, but to really understand that the Jewish people that Jesus is talking to, uh, we have to understand they were living under such an oppressive, military-backed, uh, Gentile government regime, regime that was the Romans. That they were being governed by military leaders, that the Roman military was everywhere. Uh, they knew they couldn't challenge them. They were just too powerful. Uh, fast forward to 70 AD, and Rome finally overthrows Jerusalem, crushes the temple, and really destroys everything when they finally did try to revolt. So at this time, they know how powerful Rome is. They know how powerful the military is, and they're constantly surrounded by them. Now, remember, we've talked about the four different uh, political parties, if you will, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and the Zealots. And a lot of what they believed, no matter where they were at, uh, comes directly. These are 
direct, direct attacks on their political party, if you will, the way that Jesus is calling them to live. So I want to look at uh, these three different sayings, these three different groupings of passages a little bit more in depth, see what that meant for Jesus and how Jesus demonstrated that, and then finish with the application. So point number one, uh, verses 33 through 37, is this, live a trustworthy life. Let's just read 33 through 37 again. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord your vows that you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is a reminder that what comes out of your mouth is a demonstration of where your heart is. To say something and not mean it demonstrates that you are not trustworthy. Now, what was happening at this time was they would make an oath or a vow and they would swear by something. And a lot of it we see in Matthew 23 when Jesus is calling out the Pharisees and the scribes. Matthew chapter 23, starting in verse 16. He says, Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. What they were doing is they would make these oaths, but in their mind they've justified, well, that oath isn't as serious because it was by the gold, but not the actual. And it was so vague. And it was how they were mistreating each other. It was how they were taking advantage of each other. They were putting in loopholes. Have I mentioned that the Pharisees and scribes were lawyers? They were studiers of the law. Maybe no relation, I don't know. But this is what they were doing. They were finding these loopholes or putting in these loopholes so that they had a way to back out of their commitment. I remember uh, one of the most annoying things, and I haven't been on social media in a long time, but something that used to frustrate me to no end, and maybe you remember it, maybe it's still there, was the maybe button on Facebook. You'd invite a Facebook invite to a bunch of people. You'd invite 100 people. Uh, one time in particular, uh, my wife was throwing me a birthday party and they invited all these people to come. And let's just say there was a 100 people and we had like six yeses and two no's and 92 maybes. You know how hard it is to plan for 92 maybes. Now we do announcements in our church and we'd use Facebook for a lot of different things. And I'd say, okay, we need to know who's coming, so make sure. And I would say, do not click maybe. Maybe is the most annoying thing in the world because what you're telling me and what the full thing is, is maybe there's something I'll find more interesting to do that day. And that's how we respond. We say things like, yeah, maybe I'll come or I'll see what I can do. Or, uh, yeah, let me, let me find out. And we use different ways of finding an excuse to not to have to commit to something. We don't want to feel trapped. 
So our yes doesn't always mean yes. And our no doesn't always mean no. We use false words. We use words that we know have no meaning to them and it will allow us to back out of a commitment that we have made. So how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus live a trustworthy life? Well, Jesus exemplified this. Everything God's word says about Jesus came true, or we know that it is yet to come true. But God doesn't lie. God does not break his promises. We have an entire history, we have an entire Bible demonstrating that when God says something, it comes to fruition. That when Jesus says something, when Jesus told his disciples something, when Jesus said, you name it, it came true. When Jesus told the people, by the way, this temple is going to be destroyed, they got so mad they killed him, and in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Everything Jesus says comes true. Second passage, verses 38 through 42. Go the extra mile. Let's start again, read starting in verse 38. It says, You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is really how to respond if your pride is attacked. How to respond if your pride is attacked. Jesus again brings up the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law, you've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And this points out that it's not wrong to want justice for a wrong that was done. Uh, it's not wrong to think if somebody has done something to you. If, if my neighbor comes over at this time and he kills a sheep of mine, well, he has to replace my sheep with one of his own. And that's what this meant, that the punishment must equal that of the crime. Well, what that turned into was just vengeance. You killed my sheep, I'm going to kill two of yours and your herding dog. They didn't have herding dogs at the time, but you get the point. And then they would say, well, you went overboard. And what began is just constant vengeance. So if they wanted, and wanting justice is one thing, but vengeance is injustice. Now it's just revenge. Now it's, I, you offended me and I'm, and really it's a demonstration of saying, I'm more important than you, so now I get to decide what it is. It's not following a legal proceeding. It is not following the actual justice that was laid out in the Old Testament law. What Jesus introduces here, and again, this is a very taken out of passage, is we have to get, uh, understand the actual context of it, is the first one is, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. Also, getting slapped on the cheek was a horrible insult. Uh, at the time, there was uh, writings that said that slaves would rather get hit on the back and get punished than get slapped in the face because slapping in the face was such an insult, said that you are no longer human, but at least getting whipped on the back was normal for slave position. And it's not something we can always understand, but he's saying if somebody insults you, if somebody makes a very hurtful insult at you, 
our natural response is to insult back. But he's saying if somebody insults you, turn the other cheek. If somebody is personally attacking. Now, what that isn't is that we just sit back and let bad things happen. We are, again, we are to, to uh, want justice. We are to want seeing people who are oppressed not be oppressed. There's a lot of things that the Bible uh, tells us that we should be doing and how to stand up for people that can't stand up for themselves and passage after passage. And I mean, more than, I think we've preached several messages on it. But this is just saying if somebody insults you, the deepest insult that they could possibly say to you, don't respond. Let them insult you again. Don't, if your pride is attacked, so be it. And that's really what this is. Uh, think of it this way. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. What is your response? It's challenging to our pride. We don't like it. We don't like the fear that we felt. And so anger comes out. Retaliation. I must get back at them. So the next time someone's trying to get over in the lane and you're trying to merge, let them merge. Let the car behind them merge as well. That's kind of a modern day. Now that's not nearly as insulting as getting slapped in the face. I don't want to lighten that up in any way. The next thing he says, if they want your shirt, give them your coat as well. Most people at this time had two shirts and one coat. And the coat doubled, it is what you covered yourself in when you slept at night. And so in the courts, it was if you sued somebody, if someone sued you, you uh, they could sue you, sue your shirt off your back. And then sometimes in extreme cases, they would sue for your coat as well. But the mandatory law was at night you had to give the coat back because they could freeze to death without it. But what Jesus is saying is somebody wants your shirt, give them the coat as well. Somebody wants whatever, they're going to come after you, do what you need to do to make peace. Again, it is a personal attack. It is about your pride wanting to stand up for yourself. This isn't about standing up for other people. This is about standing up for yourself. When your pride is attacked, let it be. The next one probably doesn't make a lot of sense. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Roman law was if a Roman soldier came up to anybody, any civilian, and said, carry my pack for the next mile, you were obligated to carry their pack and their weapons. And it was very heavy. It was a, quite a load. So imagine you were feeling very oppressed. You're underneath this oppressive, military-backed regime. You hate the Romans. You can't stand them and what they stand for. They're Gentiles, so you view them as dirty. They're hatred. And uh, then he comes up and says, hey, this stuff's heavy. You carry it for a mile. And you're obligated to do so. Imagine the anger that you would feel. And maybe you're in a place in life where you don't have to imagine very much. You feel like that's already happening in other ways. Somebody that you don't care much for at work, who's always gunning for the same position as you, is asking you to do their work for them, and you know they're going to get the credit for it. There's many ways that this plays out in our life, and what Jesus is saying, if you're asked to go one mile and carry that pack, imagine carrying the very sword that you know could be used to kill you. And Jesus says, if they ask you to go one mile, say, oh, I can do two. I can do two if you want. I can keep going. That's demonstrating what it is to know Christ and what he did. And then he just said, if anyone wants something, just give. Give, don't ask for it back. But I want to look again at how Jesus exemplified this. You see, Jesus didn't just 
die for us. Jesus was tortured. Jesus was crucified. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, he talks about that he was even death on a cross. And we don't always picture that the cross, we see people wearing them. The cross wasn't even talked about. It was such a shameful thing to have happen. It was such a shameful thing to know somebody that was crucified, let alone worship them. That's what threw off the entire Roman culture is why are people worshiping somebody who was crucified? So Jesus didn't just die for your sins. Jesus took your punishment. He took your beatings. He took your torture. And he took the most horrendous way to die. He went that extra mile. He went so many extra miles for each and every single one of us. Even death on a cross. And he died for you and he died for me. And then number three. Love those hardest to love. Starting in verse 43. So if you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Notice again when he says, you've heard it said, and that's how he begins all of these sayings. This one, he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, if you're like me, you're going, I don't remember saying that. I don't remember the Bible ever saying to hate anybody. And what had happened, that this was something that was added by the scribes and the Pharisees and by the religious leaders. And the reason that you're confused is because we are never told to hate our enemies. The confusion was, and what they had done is, uh, they had looked at the Old Testament law and they had looked at different times where Jesus had told um, Joshua, Moses, David, and he had commanded them to go in and annihilate people, which that's a big question people get is, if God is this God of love, why is he killing these entire communities. Understand, any time that God told them to go in and annihilate uh, the Moabites, the Amalekites, whatever it was, it was because those ancient cultures were so godless. We cannot comprehend what that was like. Open child sacrifice. Uh, they did not take. And as God always goes through and explains, uh, one, one sin of ours deserves all the punishment from God. That's something we have to keep in mind. One time that we sin separates us from God and we are due the most severe punishment that can be due us. And these people groups for generations had been living in such contrast to how God wanted people to live. They had had chances to know God, but they chose to idolatry. They chose not to take care of the poor and the widow and the orphan. And when you read through the different prophets, all of these condemnations come down to, you are not living for God, therefore this is due you. But there's very specific times that God instructs this and there are times that there are not. What the Pharisees and the scribes have done is, well, obviously all those people are Gentiles, so we must hate the Gentiles. We must hate the Romans. 
Again, they were unable to see that they were also sinners in need of grace and mercy, in need of a savior. They thought they had it made, that they had done good enough, and everybody else was deserving of any wrath, and that they were God's useful tool to carry out that wrath. Then Jesus says, love your enemies. Again, imagine some of these people, and I don't know if this happened, but they're on their way to hear Jesus speak on the mountainside. And all of a sudden, a Roman soldier grabs one of them and says, hey, carry my pack for a mile. So they're getting there. Now they're exhausted. They're tired. All they wanted to do was hear Jesus speak. And they go up on the side of the mountain. And he goes, hey, someone asked you to go one mile, go two. I didn't want to hear that. Love your enemies. Eh, I didn't really care much to hear that either. Surely what Jesus meant was something different. Jesus is saying, don't just do what is easy. Again, it's easy to love those who love you. That's what he's pointing out. Even the tax collectors do that. Even the despised tax collectors got along with other tax collectors. They got along with other sinners. But he's saying... Don't just love those that you don't know. Like men used it before. It's easy to love the people that come to grocery giveaways. I don't know them. They've never wronged me. I enjoy helping them and taking care of them and praying for them. But if you're going to tell me to love my enemies, now we have some issues. That is extremely difficult. I've said it before. Anytime we preach on something like this, it's always the most amount of meetings I have that next week. Because we have to ask the question... Who are our enemies? We go back to the saying that we repeat pretty frequently here. The gospel is always about humility and sacrifice, never comfort and privilege. The gospel will always call us to step out of our comfort zone. The gospel will always call us to view other people as better than ourselves. The gospel will always call us to give up something. As soon as it becomes about my rights, as soon as it becomes about my comfort, as soon as it says, don't you know who I am, we have lost our gospel-mindedness. How do we see Jesus live like this? (laughs) It's everything that Jesus is. Specifically, I go back to Ephesians 2, and he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That we were enemies of God. And God's response was to send his only perfect son to die for us. It was different. And he's calling us to live differently as well. So how do we apply this to our life? Well, it is so easy. It's just living like Jesus. So if you want to write that down for application, how do we live like Jesus? Number one, say what you mean. Say what you mean. Don't live a maybe button lifestyle where your word doesn't mean anything. Where when your friends are gathered and they say, isn't Rob coming? And they're like, well, I don't know. You know how Rob is. Rob overcommits himself. Uh, Rob said he was going to be here, but we'll see if he actually shows up. Is that your reputation? Um, Because honesty is what leads to genuine relationships that honor God. And again, going back to the very beginning, we said, so many of these commands that we are told, we excuse away. We make excuses for. Ah, it just didn't work out. Ah, I didn't want to really be there anyways. I'll tell them enough so that they don't keep asking me. I'll act like I didn't see the text. 
or maybe something better came along. Don't live a maybe button lifestyle. If we really want to have relationships that honor God, we have to be honest with each other. Honest communication, whether that's in marriage, whether that's in friendship, whether that's telling people that uh, when we said we were going to serve at church, that we're actually going to be there. You don't have to schedule a backup because of how many times I'm prone to cancel. Um, if I say that I'm going to do something, I will be there. That when I make a commitment, I stick to it. We see this in James. James 5.12 says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. How do we live like Jesus? Say what you mean. Number two, serve like Jesus. How do we live like Jesus? We serve like Jesus. Are you seeking what is best for others or are you seeking what is best for you? Are you preferring somebody else or are you going along with your preferences? Are we putting other people's interests ahead of our own? And this is a tough balance and I've had many conversations with people who say, well, the Bible says, you know, I should be a good steward of this. Uh, well, the Bible says this. And it's one of those things of, uh, if it's my car, it's pretty nice, so I don't necessarily want you to borrow it, but if it's your car, you should let it, you should prefer somebody else. Let them borrow it, they need it. And we can go through the whole list, but this is one of those tough, balanced things that we have. I always come back to, is it God's or is it yours? It's all about how you view it. Are we serving like Jesus? And then, number three, we love like Jesus. We love like Jesus. If to ask, who are your enemies? Because they may not be your enemies on a battlefield when lines are drawn and there's a battle. It's pretty easy to know who's on what side. But sometimes our enemies are a coworker. Sometimes they're a neighbor. Sometimes if we're really listening to our actions, our words, it's somebody in our church. Sometimes we view a family member, sometimes we view a spouse, we view somebody we're directly related to as our enemy. When we really are able to ask the right questions and we start to say, who do I not want to spend time with? Who do I purposefully avoid? Those are your enemies. Maybe they hurt me and I'm just trying to avoid them. How do we love like Jesus? Just remember, Jesus loved those who were as enemies since birth. As human beings, all we can ever do is sin against God. That's all we do. We sin against God. Through our actions, we tell God that he's not necessary. We tell him he's not good enough, that we're better, that we know better than he is. And yet God loved you and God loved me enough to send his own son to die for us. Romans 12, verse, starting in verse 17, goes on for this. Uh, it says, and it kind of encapsulates both how we serve like Jesus and how we love like Jesus. Paul writes, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. 
but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we take in line so many different passages of the New Testament, and we look at these uh, different areas that we've talked about, these different heart checks from Jesus, we begin to see this picture or these filters and how we view God, how we view Jesus, and how we should be living to live like him. And the hardest part about it is it always goes against what our culture tells us. We're told constantly, you deserve this. You should buy it. That you have to look out for yourself because if you're not looking out for yourself, nobody else will. We are fed so many different lies constantly in our culture that without realizing it, we believe them. But I can't believe you treated me like this. Don't you know who I am? So now I have to get back at you. So many areas of our life, these affect. So many interpersonal relationships that we have. What would it look like if we started speaking honestly with each other? If we spoke honestly with each other out of love, sincerely hoping for the best in the other person? What does it look like when we serve like Jesus? When we are seriously putting other people's interests ahead of our own, that when our pride is attacked, we don't feel like we have to get vengeance back from it. What does it look like when we really are seeking out what is justice for other people and not justice for myself? And how do we love like Jesus? How do we not just love those who are similar to us, those who believe like us, those who vote like us, those like fill in the blank, but how do we love the opposite? How do we take care of other people? These are very tough. And again, he finishes in chapter five. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Oh, that was easy. Now we know. That's all. We just have to be perfect as he is perfect. So I have some bad news. I'm not perfect. And you're not perfect. The only way that God can look at us and see us as righteous is because of the blood of his own perfect son. If you're watching this and you have never turned your life over to him, you have never made Jesus the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, our prayer is that today is the day of salvation, that you call out to him. That going through these passages demonstrates just our great need for him because we cannot live like this without the Holy Spirit. As we confront ourselves in these last three weeks, these different heart checks, our prayer is that you are calling out to him to ask for help, but also let us know how we can help you. We are in this together. I haven't mastered these. <laughs> I'd love to tell you, like, here's how I did it. I didn't. It's a constant daily struggle. So how do we do this together? One, we have to rely on the Lord. We have to go to him. Two, we must rely on the Holy Spirit to transform us into Christ likenesses. And number three, one thing the Bible teaches us over and over again, that we are meant to live in relationships with each other. We are meant to live in community and we are meant to be there for the other person. Please let us know how we can help you. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come to your word. Lord, I thank you for these tough, difficult words that you've given us, but Lord, you, I'm so thankful that you have given us how to do them through your Son and through your Holy Spirit. 
Because of your son, we can have a relationship with a holy God, a perfect God. And because of your son, you, we can be viewed as righteous because of his blood that he shed for us. That we can have a relationship with you because Jesus defeated sin and defeated death. And Lord, we can grow in the likeness of your son because of the Holy Spirit that you have given us to transform us into his image. So Lord, I pray for those who do not know you, that you would work in their hearts and their lives, that they would call out to you. Lord, I also pray for those that do know you, that we would preach the gospel to ourselves every day. That we would recognize every day how much we need you. That we would live a life of humility, like totally understanding our spiritual bankruptcy and our need for you. And that now we are called to point other to you as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.